Welcome to New Life Sunday service.、Uh, New Life is a community that exists for the gospel, sorry, for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. I am,、uh, you know, lately I've been a little bit speechless. Lately I've been a little bit、uh, taken aback by surprises、uh, during the service. I, I prefer to have everything planned out. My wife will tell you that. Drives everyone nuts around me,、um, unfortunately. But lately, people have been surprising me, so thank you for that, Josh.、Um, <laughs> thank you for that, everyone. The Gospel of Grace、um, it's the good news that God's covenant love continues to pursue us despite generations upon generations of sin and rebellion against Him that we commit. We would love for you to actually know this love. And so, Uh, do come along with us in this journey, whether this is your first time hearing it, whether this is、uh, the next of many times that you're hearing it, do come along with us in this. My name is Young, lead pastor here at New Life.、Um, if you're new to New Life, welcome to the live stream.、Uh, we'd love to connect with you, so please do stick around until the conclusion of the service, not just the sermon, the sermon is one part of the service, but do stick with us until the very end. Um, we'll have a QR code and a Linktree link so that you can actually sign up and we can actually、uh, get to know you a little bit better.、Um, when I say sign up on the new, newcomer's form, it doesn't mean that you're signing your life away or anything like that,、um, but we just want to get to know you better, get you connected in with the community、uh, of grace that we have here at New Life. So do make sure you stick around for that. Now, for our time of fellowship,、uh, what we've been doing over the past few months of lockdown,、uh, we've been sharing in the YouTube live chat. I think it's been a, a, quite a successful thing, you know, dare I say it. I know we don't get to engage in very deep conversations over the YouTube live chat, but at the very least, I think we're actually getting to hear from people or to read what people are writing. People that we might not always engage with here on a physical Sunday. And so I want to encourage you to continue on in these things.、Uh, this week, let's share together are there any good places to eat,、uh, good cafes, good restaurants that you've discovered during this lockdown period? You know, maybe you've noticed these different places that you've seen online on you know, one of these delivery platforms that you've Would have never tried before,、uh, but su- suddenly the name seemed appealing to you when you saw it on these things. Share in the live chat with us、um, some good places to eat that you've discovered through this lockdown period. Hopefully,、uh, you've had a little bit of time to actually share、uh, in the live chat some of these things.、Um, I'm hoping that there's some within my LGA or within my five kilometer radius so that、um, I can find some new things to order.、Um, why don't I give it over to Creative Team?、Um, they have the scripture reading for us. So let me just hand it over to them.
Oh, is it the lights? Uh, thank you very much, Derek, for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Uh, if you don't know Derek, um, he's been part of New Life for quite some time. He's actually quite involved with some of our nearest neighbors at ANC, uh, which is another ministry within Zhezun, uh, All Nations Church. So do get to know Derek. Um, I've been loving the different readers of scripture over this lockdown period. Um, I hope that you'll be able to remember these friendly faces when we do get back to physical service um, in person here at New Life. Now, thinking about the passage for this morning, um, and especially as I was kind of listening to uh, the Word of God, um, as Derek read it as well, I was struck by a thought. You know, when have you experienced the kindness of a stranger? When have you actually experienced the kindness of a stranger? Um, I invite you to actually ponder upon this, you know, think upon this as we spend some time in prayer. Just consider, uh, when was a time when you've experienced the kindness of a stranger? Okay, let me pray for us and then we'll get into the word of God. Father, we love that your love is for us and we love that your love is so much that it overflows from us to our neighbors. When we read in your word the love that you have for us and the love that you desire for us to have for our neighbors, we desperately wanna do these things even though sometimes our hearts disagree with us, even though sometimes our minds tell us not to extend love or forgiveness towards these others, help us, Lord, to give ourselves over to you in prayer, to be changed by you, that we might actually do these things. We pray this morning that you would help us to turn our hearts over to you that the soil of our hearts might be changed once again, that they might be rich and fertile ground, that your word can be planted in, and that it might bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold, that we might be able to take your word to the people around us, to all people around us, that we might be able to share in the good news of your son coming and dying for us, that we might have eternal life with you. We know that you love us. We wanna love you. We wanna love others around us. Would you help us to do these things? Speak to us, Lord, in a way that we can understand. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, during our time of lockdown, we've been following on a bit of a loose theological thread uh, over the past couple of months. And as for overarching themes, from the beginning of lockdown, we've looked at few different things. We've looked at the compassionate and gentle love of Jesus. We've looked at how Jesus continues to intercede for us now. We've looked at also our identity as image bearers of God. From there, we looked at how we as image bearers intercede for others. We also looked at how we endure by the power of Christ's intercession and the Spirit's presence. And we've looked at how God's compassionate and gentle love for us began before the world began. It's always God's love that initiates. And because we're made in his image, we're continuing to be shaped by the image of Christ as his followers. And so we pray just as he prays for us. We looked at that place of prayer last week And perhaps then you can see where we're headed this week as we've heard from the reading of the word this morning. As he loves, we also love. As his image bearers, as he loves, we also love. Now we as Christians, we talk about the importance of loving God and loving others. Okay, you know this, if you've been within Christianity, if you've been uh, at the church for very long, you know that we talk about the importance of loving God and loving others. Jesus, he answered this question that he was asked once, which command is the most important of all? By declaring that to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commands for all of the law and the prophets are summed up in these two. 
Read with me, uh, Luke 10, 25 to 27. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So we see this expert in the law. In other words, an expert in what God has revealed divinely to us through his word. He stands up and he asks a question to Jesus. What must I do? And when Jesus asks him, well, what's it say in the law? Which the man is an expert in, the man responds with the great commandment. The exact thing that we were just talking about. And so Jesus tells him, well, go and do this. The opening of this passage, it's bound up in praxis, okay? In the way to do life, how we ought to live. That's what the beginning of this passage is all about. Perhaps it could have been left at this, but the expert in the law, he probes a little bit further. Verses 28 to 29, read this. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? This is a pretty natural question to ask in this situation, right? And this is a pretty natural question to ask. Maybe you would ask this question as well if you were in the same situation. And then this starts a story on Jesus' part in order to interpret not only the answer to this question, but also the original one. What must I do to inherit eternal life? A few things to note as we try to understand this story, this parable from Jesus, okay? The first thing is to see what brought about the response that the Samaritan had in this story. Okay, so Luke 10, 33, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. Compassion, we see this word used elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke which your Sunday group facilitator uh, might talk about today. And it seems that the Samaritan displays something that mirrors God's own covenant love and faithfulness towards us. It's the Samaritan's love, right? The expert in the law recognizes the quality that he calls mercy. It's what causes one to love their neighbor because it overflows from a heart filled with the covenant love of God. Now, as an aside, the reason it's called mercy here, compassion there, there's no exact word for the kind of faithful covenant love of God as it's translated for us, okay? So in the original Hebrew, it was a particular word, okay? So like this week, you know, I, I saw this post online about a Korean word and how there's no faithful translation, there's no real exact translation into English you know, because it's just something that we know as, you know, Korean people. But then for someone who doesn't speak Korean, you have to use many, many words to describe this one word. It's the same here in Hebrew. So translators try and express what they can of this original word, okay? It's, the original word in Hebrew is chesed, okay? You need, like, you need to be vaccinated before you can actually say this word, okay? Otherwise, do not say this word. They translate it as Compassion, loving kindness, one word, loyal love, mercy. You heard it in, in the second song that Stella sang, right? That Stella led us in. You know, it talks about um, remember love, remember kindness. No, remember love, remember mercy. Your loving kindness. You can express in Hebrew all of these things in one word because it encompasses all of these things. We'll call it covenant love this morning, okay? So anytime I talk about covenant love, this is what I'm talking about. But I encourage you to look more into this word as it'll help you to understand God in a better way, okay? Now the second thing to look at when we try to understand this story is to see that this story is framed by questions about the identification of neighbor. Who is this neighbor? Luke 10, 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then jump down to Luke 10, 36. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So everything in Jesus' ministry, if you look at the Gospels, if you read through the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, everything that Jesus does seems to be about destroying the dividing lines that exist, that could be drawn between those that you might call friends and those that you might call enemies. Those who are neighbors and then those who you might consider to be outside of your circle. Everything that Jesus does wipes away these lines. What does he do? He has meals with people that are outside these circles. He talks and engages with people that one might consider their enemies. Yet the expert in the law, with his question, seems to be trying to reintroduce this distinction so that he can justify himself about who he doesn't have to show love to. Like, we do this, right? We, we ask questions, we try to clarify. You know, by the end of the story, Jesus has flipped the question and the focus has shifted completely, and we'll get there. The story and its points obliterate the premise of this original question itself because love for your neighbor knows no bounds. Does this love sound like another love that you know? Now the third thing for us to know as we try to understand this story ties the first two together. The story contains only three characters that do something. Okay, this story talks about several different characters, but there's only three in this story that actually go about and do anything. Two of them are people from the temple, and then the third is a Samaritan. Okay, and we'll talk about what this Samaritan, what a Samaritan is, you know, because we're a little bit removed from that culture, right? The two that act first represent the temple, the religious center that determines social norms and boundaries. People like, people like me, okay? Welcome these types of people, exclude those. They're making all these recommendations and they set societal boundaries. And they say, make sure you don't associate with these kinds of people. They set social norms. The dividing lines that have become societal norms were drawn by people and Jesus has worked to erase this. The third principal character, the Samaritan, he acts in a way, as Jesus shows us, that models God's covenant love, and in doing so, he's contrasted sharply with these temple people and their actions. So the dividing lines were drawn by people. God opposes these divisions and works against them. And if the Samaritan in this story embodies this law that the expert knows so much about, if the Samaritan's actions indeed embody God's covenant love, his loving kindness, all of these things, his faithfulness, his mercy, well, what does that mean for us when we hear this story? What does that mean for us when we read this parable? With that in mind, let's look at how this story starts again. It starts with this question from the expert in the law. Luke 10, 25 to 27, once again, reads this. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You can see immediately the expert in the law's intentions written right there. He stood up to test Jesus. As an expert in his field, he wants to challenge Jesus. Expert versus rabbi, expert versus teacher. The disposition, the, the disposition of his heart is apparent for us on this page here. Okay, you can see what his intentions are. But look at Jesus' response. Lovingly, graciously, he engages with the expert in the law by maintaining common ground with him. He asks him, this law that you're an expert in, what's, it, what's written in it? What does it say? Jesus agrees with the law. He endorses it. He talks about his continuation, but he adds this. How do you read it? This question is very important. 
There's nothing wrong with the law of God, but there's something very wrong with how it's been interpreted, how it's been extrapolated, how it's been carried out in daily life. When we look at the law, how do people take the law and corrupt it? How do people pervert it and change it? The expert in the law answers very dutifully, though. His question had been derived from the connection between obedience to the law and inheritance of God's good favor from Deuteronomy 6, okay, from the Old Testament. And so his answer also comes from elsewhere in Deuteronomy 6, along with also Leviticus 19. He is an expert in the law. He talks about the fundamental elements of life and worship as a Jewish person. As a person among his people, he talks about fundamental elements. Now, life together in this time meant that loving your neighbors wasn't about having nice, frilly feelings towards them, okay? Like, when we think about love towards our neighbors, I don't know what it is that we think about. Oftentimes, when we think about love, we think of heart symbols. We think of, you know, just nice, warm, fuzzy feelings. But no, it was about the heart's disposition being expressed in actual outward actions. Life together meant action. From his own lips, the expert in the law states that there must be such a comprehensive love for God that it overflows into love for your neighbors. And so at least the second part of this, loving your neighbor as yourself is something that can be agreed upon between these two, Jesus and the expert in the law. And it's actually something that can be agreed upon fairly universally. All of your friends, you know, all of the people that you associate with, no one's gonna be saying, you shouldn't love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, you should just hate people. Let's create anarchy in the land. No one wants that society for their children. You might have heard it before, referred to as the golden rule. Or you might have heard it as, treat others the way that you yourself want to be treated. But whatever the case, we would say this with our own mouths. This is what we want. Deep down, all of us want this. We want others to treat us the way that we would want to be treated. Is that right? I'm confusing myself with the way that I'm talking. All right. You've answered correctly. Jesus tells the expert in the law. Then he tells him to do this because it's one thing to interpret the law correctly, to hear the word of God. It's another thing altogether to be changed by it, to actually carry it out in life. Just as we prayed in pre-service prayer, it's one thing to hear it, to read it. It's another thing to do it. Now earlier, just before we prayed, I asked this question. When have you experienced the kindness of a stranger? Okay. Do you have that moment in your mind? You know, hopefully you can think of at least one moment. I remember long, long time ago, okay, I'm sure I've experienced the kindness of strangers, you know, since this time, but I remember a long, long time ago when my parents and I, we're, I'm an only child, right, and we were living in uh, some apartments in America, you know, not the most rich neighborhood, you know, lower middle class, I would say. I remember these particular neighbors that we had in this apartment complex. I don't know their names. I was like racking my brain. I asked my parents, I called them yesterday and I was like asking them as well. I only remember their dog's name. The dog's name was Willie, okay, if you care. Willie's owner, he, 20s, 30s, he would ride the skateboard around in the parking lot outside of our apartment complex, play with his dog outdoors. And for an only child, you can imagine, I'm watching this and I'm fascinated. I've never seen someone skateboard before. You know, I've never, you know, like I, I loved animals as well. And I would see this dog and see this owner. You can imagine for a little kid like me, just how cool this looked. You know, him zipping around in the parking lot, you know, looking all like cool doing his little skateboard tricks. I don't know what they're called. With this beagle chasing him around. And instead of being annoyed, by this little kid just constantly gawking at him, just watching him through the window in his room, 
how creepy, right? Or, you know, wanting to always pet his dog. He would always be so kind and welcoming. He'd be like, hey, come over, like, you know, pet the dog. And he would talk to me, you know, before he and his family moved away. I remember they didn't stay in our apartment complex long after we moved in. They invited me to his, their apartment, and then we just ate cake together. And then he gave me his skateboard as a gift because he knew that I loved watching him ride his skateboard around. What repayment could there have been from this small child towards this adult man and his dog? What could I have possibly given him? But out of compassion for this kid who wanted to pet his dog, out of kindness towards this kid who watched him skating around, he did these things. Do you have memories of your own kindness towards strangers? We might have a lot of memories of kindness that strangers have shown us. Do you have memories of your own towards strangers? Luke 10, 28 to 29, you've answered correctly, he told him, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the second time we see through the expert's intentions is with this follow-up question. Answer has been given, God's purpose is there, but the expert in the law, he's thinking all these widely held beliefs at this time about the interpretation of the law. Who is my neighbor then? You know, there's this kind of dancing around what he perceives to be ambiguity with this word neighbor. Who can you define as neighbor? We're a little bit removed from this culture, so imagine with me this. Imagine with me for a moment that the summation of the law, the summary of the law as given here, was not towards neighbors, but let's make it a little bit easier, okay? Let's make it, let's define it as Australians, okay? Let's imagine for a moment that the law of the Lord says, love the Lord your God and Australians as yourself, okay? How would you define Australians around you? Who is Australian? Are you Australian? Is the immigrant who is not yet a permanent resident, would you consider this to be Australian? What about the refugee who comes here looking for sanctuary? Is he without a status Australian? What about those that act in ways where they don't help out a mate in need and you might call him you might call his actions un-Australian, would you say that he's Australian? And would you be able to love this Australian as yourself? Or would you try to create some boundaries around this word? So in a similar way, at the time of this episode between the expert and Jesus, those in the land could possibly have been immigrants from other countries as a result of imperialism, Remember, the Roman Empire was expanding at an incredible rate at this time. Could have been soldiers and citizens from Rome that occupied the land. Were they neighbors? What about the people of different religions that held the Jewish people in disdain and said, no, what you believe in is junk. What I believe in is true. Were they neighbors? The expert in the law, his desire is to justify himself through this question, and it strikes perhaps closer to our hearts than we like to admit, how far should love reach? How far should our love reach? Who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells a story. Look with me at verses 30 to 35. Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, 
brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. So Jesus tells a story about a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And despite telling us exactly what types of people find this man, Jesus maddeningly only describes him as a man. This is really astute though. The expert in the law, his question seeks to divide once again, right? Create some lines around the word neighbor. And though there was plenty of debate at this time about how far love should reach as the religious people, they talked about their interpretations of the law, Jesus intentionally leaves out any identifying features for this man. You can't just look at this man and say, friend, enemy, you can't just decide, neighbor, faraway person. He's stripped down and robbed, beaten half dead, and so he remains anonymous throughout the rest of the story as well. You can't identify him by his clothing. He can't identify himself. He's been beaten half dead. He's probably unconscious. What do you do when you see someone like this in this bloodied condition, stripped naked? You see this person. How do you identify him? He's a fellow human being. That's all he is. At the core, beneath all of the clothes, beneath all the culture, beneath everything, we're all human beings, brothers and sisters. He is a neighbor, someone in need. Second thing to notice, the, the road that the man was walking stretches from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, so we're a little bit far away from there, so there's a little bit of a diagram here. From about 760 meters above sea level is where Jerusalem is, all the way down to about 240 meters below sea level. So you can see the change in elevation all throughout the different you know, areas of that road. The road is long and winding, full of so many places where robbers could hide, wait in ambush to ambush travelers. And if this man was treated this way by these robbers, how will others act that differentiates them from these robbers? It seems to be the question that's hanging there. Okay, let's continue on. 31 to 33, a priest happened to be going down that road. Okay, like if you're following along in a physical Bible or you know, your app or whatever, highlight that, going down, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. Okay, so all those highlighted words, they correspond to each other. Observe, as a priest and a Levite come, see, and then pass by on the other side. They come and see and they pass by on the other side. That's their action. They hear the word, they read, they see this man in his condition and what do they do? Well, they don't do the word. It's almost rhythmic how it happens. Come, see, pass by. There's no particular reason given for why they don't stop and help this man. This story, you know, you might have heard it before that they were concerned about ritual cleanliness. They didn't want to become unclean by touching what could possibly be a corpse. But I don't agree. The story describes them going down. So they're probably traveling away from Jerusalem. They finished their temple duties. They're probably not so worried about becoming defiled ritually by a possible corpse. Regardless, if it was a corpse, even as priests, they would have a duty to actually bury an exposed corpse. All we know is they don't do anything for this wounded man, for whatever reason. 
Now, within the world of the religious at this time, and probably today as well, their status in the temple meant that people wouldn't think too much about how they acted. They would just see, okay, a priest and a Levite acted in this way, it must be righteous. If they act in that way, it must be right. Let's follow their actions. Purely based on their status, purely based on who they are, their identity. In fact, without thinking, their decision to not assist this man would have been interpreted as being commendable and right. And then they would analyze it for how this could be so. They would work from an assumption of what it already is in their minds, and then they would try to justify it. And you see a little bit of this in the way the expert in the law asked this question. This might sound peculiarly familiar, okay? I, I felt this way as well. We talk about grace today. And out of the graciousness of God, we receive our identity in him. That's not wrong. But the things that flow out from our status, it's the actions that prove the identity of our hearts. If the actions don't follow, something is not right here. Out of the overflow of our hearts, scripture says, our mouths move. Out of the, the tree that grows in the garden of our hearts, you will know the tree by its fruit, scripture tells us. Out of its desires, the heart produces actions. You can know what state your heart is in by the actions of your life. And the heart reveals the third person. You can see there, verses 33 to 35, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. When he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Coming from Jericho, going to Jerusalem, you can see that by how he's coming up. So he's going up the road towards an elevated place. The introduction of the Samaritan is shocking, frankly shocking, okay? First, his identity as a Samaritan. Who were the Samaritans, okay? We might read this biblical word and we might think, okay, they're just people, you know, I don't really know who they are, I'm not that interested, but I think it's really important for you to know who this is. The Samaritans were another religious group who believed in a different location as the right place to worship, okay? For us, it's a little bit different because we have churches dotted around everywhere, right? We can go to this church, we can go to that church, and it still feels kind of like the same church for the most part, especially within Korean Presbyterian circles, right? But it will be like, I don't know what it will be like. What's a good comparison? You know, it will be like going to the temple. It will be like going to a mosque, okay? It's a little bit different. They had differing views on scripture from the Jews. They had vastly different views on scripture and their view on true faith was different from those of the Jewish people as well. So you can see simply the general population of the Jews that Jesus was speaking to would not have expected a Samaritan to embody the grace of God. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Like you would not expect these people to show the grace of God because they're from another place. They're so different. This is the level of difference existing between the Jews and the Samaritans. And you can see now why in the Gospels the Jews and the Samaritans were so separate from each other. Even further, the one that we see is not a holy man like the priest or the Levite, but he appears to be some sort of a traveling merchant. You can see this by the olive oil, the wine that he carries, the, the animal, the beast of burden that he has. But whereas the priests and the Levites came, they saw and they passed by on the other side, the Samaritan comes up, sees, and has compassion. And then, breaking even more expectations, he goes even further. He goes to the wounded man, does some first aid with wine and olive oil, I don't really know how that works, then takes him to an inn to take care of him, even paying over the odds for him. Who in the modern day, who in your mind might you put in your version of this story in place of the Samaritan? Think about it. 
Who would you not expect to display the covenantal love of God? Who is it? Is it a non-religious person, an atheist, a Muslim, an anti-vaxxer? Who is it that you will place in this position as a Samaritan and yet Jesus is saying something very important to us through this parable? But when we do this, we fall into the same trap as the expert in the law in the first place because we constantly attempt to identify and compartmentalize different people. This one's a neighbor, this one's not. Do you notice how increasingly polarized and divided our, our society is becoming? There's no common ground anymore. Everyone talks past each other. We're all located in our echo chambers just talking to each other and the moment a different point of view comes in, we shut it down, we say, get out of here, you're misinformed. We hate it and we throw hatred towards our neighbor. What distinguishes the Samaritan is not his ethnicity, it's not his job, it's his actions, his compassion, which leads him to act. And his action reveals not only the virtue of his own response, but it stands in contrast and condemns the other's failure to act. As important as theology, and I love theology, as important as church identity, and I love church identity, as important as these things are, if they don't result in compassion, in imaging out the covenantal love of God, what are we doing? You can see where our hearts are at then. Now this is a wrestle for us, this is a struggle. A part of you even now may reject all of this because it sounds too similar to workspace salvation, to whatever else might be going through your mind, but no, it lines up with James, how actions reveal where the heart is, what the heart is mired in. I encourage you to actually engage with the text here, to see what Jesus is saying through this story, to ponder on this. When you feel tension between identity and performance, like what's happening in this story, don't run away from it, but engage with that tension. If you tuned out, we're on YouTube, go ahead and rewind it, struggle with it because this is really important, okay? I'll still be here at the end of it. You'll find your faith strengthened as you actually wrestle with this matter or it'll reveal some sort of a weakness in your heart that you can actually walk out with those close to you. There's no losing ground there. Don't run away from it, but engage with it. Now I invite you to see how the Samaritan participates in the covenantal love of God because God is the one who comes, who sees, and who's moved with compassion and saves us. So the Samaritan, look with me here, the Samaritan doesn't just help, but he takes on risk to himself. He stops on the road to assist someone that he doesn't know, even though he himself might get attacked. Who knows where the robbers are? He gives of his own goods and his own money freely, doesn't make arrangements to get paid back. He enters into this inn so that he can have this stranger cared for despite not knowing what other dangers this inn might contain. And he even at the end of it enters into this open-ended commitment with this innkeeper who has every opportunity to exploit, to extort the Samaritan's generosity. Do you ever think about how crazy it is, that arrangement that he makes with the innkeeper? Charge me whatever it costs. Now, do you see the connection with God? The danger that he enters into. As Jesus enters into the world and dies to help us the giving of his own freely, graciously, making no arrangements for reciprocation because there's no way for us to pay it back. 
in order to obtain care for us, he enters into the most dangerous and toxic place of all, our hearts. The spirit resides in our hearts. And he even enters into an eternal relationship with us where we still sin, where we still betray, where we even exploit his grace. All because of his covenantal love. It's who he is. The passage ends with verses 36 to 37. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So the story concludes there. Jesus asks another question to the expert in the law, but this question shifts the focus completely. Instead of asking again, who is the neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus asks, who proved to be a neighbor? He doesn't say was a Samaritan. Well, he doesn't say was a beaten man a neighbor. Is that why he was helped? He says, who proved to be a neighbor? Whereas the expert in the law, his original question would have inquired about the identity of the half-dead man, whether or not he was a neighbor. This becomes a non-issue because of the way this story is set out. Anyone is a neighbor. And if this is the case, loving action proves the neighbor. It proves neighborly status. And so we ought to see not who is my neighbor, but how am I being a neighbor? Last week um, during announcements, we mentioned witness ministry began an initiative called Loving Our Neighbors. How timely. I encourage you to use the resources available on the website. If you haven't actually engaged with our website already, ask yourself this question. Am I proving to be a neighbor? Love others. Love them by genuinely seeking what's best for them. Not just agreeing with everything they say or do. That's not being a neighbor. That's not loving them. Not just acting in ways to gain their approval, to fit in with them, to look like them. That's not being a neighbor. That's not loving either. But attend to all their physical and spiritual needs. Give generously. Have compassion upon them going further than what might be expected of you in your position. When the story ends, the expert in the law, he seems to agree with Jesus. He admits that the one who showed mercy was the neighbor. And Jesus tells him, go and do the same. And then the scene ends, tantalizingly. You don't know what the expert in the law does. Does he drop everything? Does he follow Jesus? Does he go and do the same? Does he say, forget this? You know, I know what my heart tells me. The passage seems to ask us the question. He's heard the word. Will he do it? And then that question gets turned over to us. You've heard the word. Will you do it? Let me pray for us. Father, we've heard your word that you've lovingly given to us. Your word that came that saw our condition in loving incarnation, in the loving ministry of presence, your word came and died for us. Your word, your son, Jesus Christ, died on our behalf that we might be saved. We've heard the word, will we do it? We desperately desire word, to not just be hearers, but to be faithful doers of your word. Help us, Lord. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take over, would transform us by the renewing of our minds when our minds tend to wander would take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh, 
that they might turn to you in worship and love, that they might receive of your compassion, your loving kindness, your mercy, and would extend it to our neighbors. Help our hearts not to differentiate between friend and enemy, not to differentiate between those in our circles and those outside, but help our hearts to look inward and see, am I proving to be a neighbor to these people? May we be proven by the power of your word. May we be transformed by you, knowing that the status that we have in you by the power of what your son has done for us on the cross, by the power of his resurrection, by the power of his intercession on our behalf at your right hand. May that identity give us rest for the anxiety that exists in our hearts. And may we see that all that we give is from your hands, not our own. We share freely, generously, graciously the compassion, the love, the material things of this world that we might provide as you've provided for us, that people might see who you are through the love that we have. Help us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.